0: Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Haug, founder of the international online coaching business, Team Ange. I'm an expert in building muscle and losing fat, a natural figure and fitness pro athlete with the UFE, and a lover of everything personal development. I'm a mom, a businesswoman. Most days, I just feel like a hot mess trying to keep it all together. I spent the first two decades of my life overweight, tired hating vegetables and living off pepsi i got sick and tired of feeling tired every day and decided to transform my life this fitness and nutrition podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering listeners on all things training, nutrition, and personal development. I'm on a mission to help you improve your body, achieve your goals, live a confident and fulfilled life, stepping into your full potential. So let's help you transform physically and mentally to a person that's been hiding underneath all along. Let's do it. Hey guys, and happy Thursday. Welcome to the podcast. Today I'm chatting with Lauren Conlon. And Lauren, I've been looking up to this Wonder Woman for so damn long. She is the owner of Team Loco Fit, and they really just have this powerful mission to redefine healthy within the fitness industry. As a competitor within the industry, Lauren really saw this lack of education and quality from most coaches. She actually works with my coach, Paul Ravella, as well, and she started her own company, Team Loco Fit, to really focus on quality coaching, putting the client's long-term interests first, and taking an educated, evidence-based approach to all matters. So today's conversation is a q and I reached out to all you guys on social media, got some fantastic questions, and we were able to really dive deep into contest prep. So we chat about what first time competitors need to know, the biggest problems that we see with contest prep coaches in the industry. We talk about sweeteners and sugar free products. We talk about different types of cardio. So fasted cardio versus cardio after a lifting session. We talk about does coffee break a fast and a whole bunch of other really fantastic questions. So this is a great contest prep, everything you need to know kind of episode. and we wrap up the end of the episode just talking about what Lauren is up to. This amazing woman is doing some great things within the industry. She's on lots of fantastic stages. She's been doing a lot of really cool things. So we talk about all of that and her personal goals as an IFBB pro. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode, my conversation with IFBB pro Lauren Conlin of LocalFit. Welcome. And uh, why don't we just kick things off, Lauren, with you telling our audience a little more about who you are.
1: All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on, Angela. I really appreciate it. I love podcasts, and you know, this is just such an honor to be on. So a little bit about me. I have my bachelor's and master's in exercise science. I did a research study looking at how different types of dieting affect weight loss and weight regain. I am the owner of Team Loco Fit, which is an online coaching and consulting business uh, I've been coaching now for almost six years, and I've added to the team. So now we have a team of four. That's so really exciting. It's kind of my little baby that's growing. Um, I have two assistant coaches, and then my boyfriend is the training director for all that. I'm also an IFBB bikini pro, so I do compete. Um, taking this year off, but last year I competed a lot. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of what my you know my main things. I work with a few amazing companies in the industry, so I try and travel around
0: and speak a lot. And just kind of do all all the things. <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. So I reached out to the audience and got them to send me over a bunch of questions. So today's just going to be a Q&A of talking to you as the expert in relation to contest prep stuff. So first thing was we have a first-time competitor. And she's just wondering, first show, what in the world is she getting into? What are some of the details that she should know about before stepping on stage for the first time?
1: So first and foremost, if you are even thinking of doing a show you need to go to a show. <laughs> go to a show that is in the organization that you are going to compete in. So in the States, the big organization is the NPC. I'm not sure which one is the similar one in Canada. It, uh, I don't want to say CPA. the wrong title. CPA. Yes, that yeah. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're in Canada, that would be similar to the NPC, IFBB. Uh, and that's what I'm familiar with. So if you are in um, you know, you're thinking about it, definitely go to a show in your area or close by. Then you'll, I mean, it's going to be completely different than when you're competing, but it will be, you know, at least you'll kind of see, Hey, what am I getting into? Do I even like what's going on here? You know I mean? Mm -hmm. Those are important things to know, um, because it's glamorous in some aspects and not glamorous in others. So just kind of see what you're signing up for. And then honestly, be prepared for it to be the hardest thing you've probably ever done. Uh, I think a lot of people try and talk about contest prep, like it's this warm, fuzzy, amazing thing, and they really neglect the hard stuff. Um, prep is hard. You're gonna be tired, you're gonna be hungry, you're not gonna sleep very well. Training is gonna be shit. I mean, I mean, these are all normal adaptations to when you are getting to a very extreme body fat level. So uh, it's not not necessarily a bad thing. Some people present this as, oh, this is so bad, and it's like, no, if you only do this for a short period of time, it will be okay. But you have to be aware of these adaptations and know how to get out of them. So expect it
0: to be harder than you probably think and definitely go to a show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what about how long it's going to take, like the actual prep time? I think that's a big one, too, of like – I think some people, 8 weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, it's like – I also feel like a lot of people just don't have enough training under their belts before they even step on stage. So they don't really have a lot of muscle or experience lifting. And they're like, hey, this sport looks pretty fun. And yeah, unfortunately, (laughs) it looks glamorous, but it's not glamorous. Yes, I would
1: definitely say, so it's going to be hard. Like, honestly, if you're thinking about doing a competition, I would kind of reverse engineer that from like a year from now, Mm -hmm. because you need to be in a position where you're In an off season, reverse dieting, kind of building up your capacity, laying down those habits, you know, being in a good spot, having a little bit of flexibility, but also training, you know, hard. And then, kind of, the last month before you start prep is really where I like to dial things back in for people if they've kind of been a little bit looser. You know, really get these habits going, get your schedule in check, um, be a little bit more stringent, maybe you're tracking, and then you'll ease into prep a little bit easier. The actual prep, I would say, most people in my experience range you know, for the first show, because usually people do a string of shows, is 16 to 24 weeks is typically what most people do in my experience. Now, some people are shorter, rarely. Most people are on the longer end. And then you have to think about afterwards, right? Like, you're not just going to, like, get off stage and be like, wow, everything's perfect. Like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so I would say that, you know, if you're even thinking about doing a show, kind of backtrack at least a year and then go from there. Um, I honestly, we, me and my coaches can lose a lot of clients that way because when people come to us, Hey, I want to do a show. And we're like, Nope, not, not going to happen. Uh, we do not feel comfortable with that. You know, um, I will not work with anybody, nor all my coaches, unless we've worked with you first, like for a contest prep. Um, unless somebody is very experienced and even if they are experienced, I'm like, Hey, just give me a month and let's just kind of dial things in, get the communication going, get these habits going. And then we can ease into prep. Um, it is very, is very challenging and it should be taken very seriously. So if somebody isn't willing to put in that time, then maybe you're doing the show for the wrong reason, honestly.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, now you brought up something there that maybe some people aren't aware of, so you said, in relation to your first show so let's just talk about that why would somebody choose to do just one show versus a string of shows if they're not necessarily aware of what
1: you're referring to if somebody just wants to get on stage and just do one show and like they're like hey this is my goal then that's totally fine if somebody is looking to be competitive that's a little bit of a different story right if they're if their goal is maybe hey i want to do a I want to do some shows this year because eventually I want to get to the national stage and some people want to turn pro. Those are different conversations. Just the casual competitor, hey, I want to use this as a goal, you know, whatever, then they might just do one show, right? Or maybe they like don't even like it, then they don't do another show, right? If somebody's looking to be competitive or one more reason, if somebody lives in an area where there's not a lot of shows, I work with clients all over the world and some areas don't have as many shows as others, there might be two shows the whole year. So. You know sometimes they're just going to do one show <laughs> uh, but in the states and i believe canada too there's a good amount of shows and so you kind of have that luxury of doing more than just one and particularly if somebody is looking to be competitive and they are looking to eventually move on to a national level show or even you know turn pro you need to get that experience kind of under your belt and we do the first show and then we see okay how can we change this how can we tweak this And then, you know, because there's peaking involved, I mean, that's a whole different thing, too. Everybody peaks a little bit differently. Um, Ideally, the goal will be getting a little bit leaner and a little bit fuller, kind of going into the second show. And really, it just depends on the client's end goal. Are they looking just to do a show and they're happy about it and they're maybe brand new? Or they're like, hey, I'm new, but my goal is to be as competitive as possible and in a few years I want to turn pro then we're maybe going to do a string of shows.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And even just to get that experience underneath your belts, right? Like, let's be honest, the first-time show is always awful.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nightmare. And even if you've taken – even if you've competed a lot and then you take a little break, the first show back can also be a little rough. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, I mean, fuck this year. I, I mean, I've been competing since 2011, okay, like pretty long time. And I took 2017 off. I had an injury. And then I came back this year and I did a bunch of shows. And even my first show back, well, it was just a weird day. There was a long story, but I basically almost had a panic attack before I went on stage because I thought I was going to miss it. So that was already, my mindset was not really maybe in the best spot (laughs) because I was late. Um, But then also just I hadn't been on stage in a while. Um, And, you know, it kind of came out and it was like, oh, shit. Uh, Wow, this is, you know, not new, but like, it feels new, new, though. Your body hasn't done it in so long, yeah. right? So there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just being on stage is, is very valuable. So if you do one show and then a few weeks later you do another, it will be a completely different experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even I would I would even say to like it's kind of like your wedding day, like everything that could go wrong is probably going to go wrong. So you almost want to prepare for it mentally so that when it does go wrong and you, like, lock your keys in your car or, like, it ends up oh, being yeah. raining and your tan is, like, dripping down. It's, like, those things may just happen, but you've worked too freaking hard to allow that to ruin your, like, magical time on stage, right? Yeah. It's, like, it, like you had a panic attack or were about to have a panic attack in relation to it, but it's, oh, like shit, I've worked so hard. Like, is this really going to, Am i going to walk away from today and be like so disappointed or am I just going to be like, hey, this was a learning experience. When I step on stage again, I'm going to do this slightly differently. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Now we got another question here and that is what is the biggest problem that you see with contest prep coaches in the industry these days?
1: It kind of goes back to the first question, but it's rushing people on stage. Mm -hmm. Um, if you are looking out for the athlete's long-term interests you need to take the bigger picture into consideration and I am all for pushing and being aggressive because when it's time to be aggressive it's time to be aggressive like doesn't matter what it is we got to get it done right but there has to be a like you know in relation to What were you doing beforehand? What are you planning on doing afterwards? So I think a lot of people, what happens is they will get told these things by these coaches. Hey, I'll get you ready in 12 weeks. I'll get you ready in 12 weeks. First of all, that's probably not the best plan, right? Like, That might be, but for most people that I've worked with, that's not the best plan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you need to take into consideration the individual athlete, and you need to actually say, okay, what is going to be the best thing for their long-term goals? Not just the short-term of stepping on stage, and whatever. I cannot tell you how many people I turn down constantly. I want to do this show. Why? Because I want to do it. Then why don't we pick a different show? No. Okay then you can go work with somebody else because I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, especially new people, they see that, and obviously I get it, like I make money as a coach, it's my career. They see it as like a you know an opportunity, oh, opportunity to work with somebody. Maybe they're not even malicious about it, but they're just like, man, I really need to sign some clients. Let me just promise these people that I can get them results. And then you're just not going to do a good job and the person is going to run into a ton of problems afterwards. And that's not fair to anybody, right? Like, so just, it, I would say that the biggest issue with coaching is really just rushing people, and that goes on both ends. That goes on the client end, wanting to rush the coach, and then that goes on the coaching end, not standing up for you know maybe the proper morals and, and values of a, considering the athlete's goals. So it might seem tempting to you know take somebody's money and get them ready because that's what they want, right? Like the client might be pushing the coach, hey, I, I really need to do the show, I gotta do it, I gotta do it. And I've made that mistake too myself as an athlete and as a coach, and putting people into a box of like, we're doing the show, and most of the time it backfires. You know what I mean? So if you have a good relationship with your client, you can say, hey, you know, you're not gonna be ready. We gotta move the show. You know, and the times that I've not done that, it's kind of bitten me in the ass. And that's unfortunate, but it's a learning experience. Um, But I've never taken on somebody and promised them, like, the world to be ready early, and then they're not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of it comes down to just being realistic and honest with people. And I feel like that's a huge issue within the industry. So, oh yeah, I'll just I'll just dry out the last, no, like, you gotta be lean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta, it takes time to get lean unless you're this super freak. Now, first time competitors, most times, the first time somebody diets, it's a lot easier than the subsequent times that they diet. I mean, anybody who's dieted for a show can attest to this. First time they dieted, weight kind of fell off, you know, more times afterwards, it was a little bit harder. But that is just a byproduct of adaptations to dieting, um, which is why it's important to take time off when you need it. You know, so there's a lot of things Um, and there's really no one size fits all. But I would say that just rushing people in general and not taking the long term goals and picture into consideration.
0: Mm -hmm. What about red flags that people should look out for when they're looking to hire a coach? So things that they should run the other way from, because I think Um, sometimes people just don't know, right? Like coaches, coaches say things and... Definitely like, don't know. They have. And they're like, I, okay, he says I'm going to, or she says I'm going to be able to. So, are there certain things that they should be asking? Certain things that they should be looking out for that come to mind for you, Lauren?
1: Yeah, I would honestly say the because there's it's hard to say like if there's like one red flag or not because everybody's situation is going to be very different. And I don't like to say like, oh, if you put your clients at this calories, you're a bad coach because that's not true. Some people need exactly. way less calories than others. Like that doesn't make you a bad coach just because you make your car- your clients do cardio doesn't mean you're a bad coach. But red flags would be if you do have questions or maybe you are asking things and they kind of just advert the question, like they don't answer or they don't really have a reason and not like you're going to have a perfect reason for every single thing. Sometimes I'm like, hey, I have, you know, X, Y, Z that I understand about this and I have this intuition that this is going to work. Let's try this. But it's within reason, right? And I, I tell people that and it's an open dialogue and clients can come to me and understand, like, okay, if I have a question, Lauren's going to answer to the best of her ability. And if I don't know the answer and I think somebody else would be better at responding to it, I say, hey, this is where you kind of outsource, right? But if you have somebody who's always like, no, 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 just follow the plan, or they just kind of like miss all your questions all the time and they don't really give you any reason as to why they're doing things, that's a little concerning. Um, also, you know, and this is hard to know when you're first signing up with somebody, um, but just, you know, their track record with people, how do they respond to people? Even just like simple things on social media, like some people like, are you going to hire somebody who's a complete asshole all the time? Like I wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? But some people would, um, but they wouldn't notice that. So kind of take note of those things. Um, and then also the other, um, oh man, I just completely had another thing. Oh, just from the get go, right? Like the initial thing, if you go on our website, the intake form is very, very lengthy And then from there, there's either subsequent questions via email or a phone call. So if the client is not asking you those questions up front and not really getting an idea of where you're at currently, what your goals are, and asking you kind of the pertinent things, that would be a huge red flag i see people all the time oh just a uh, dm for coaching or like and people answer their clients i'm like my, i'm just like oh my gosh it's so unprofessional and so ridiculous to me mm-hmm. and i i get this all the time messages are you a coach and i'm like i don't even want to answer because i feel like you should know this or do a little bit of research yeah <laughs> and i'm not just going to like respond like I'm, i don't work on dms like it's just it's mm-hmm. crazy to me so you know, see like the best place to start is like, what is this person's intake form look like? What is the, before I even sign up with them, like, what does this look like? Is it professional? Are they asking me questions? You know, how is this whole process going? Because there's plenty of people who completely just don't even have that. And then people run into these problems and it's like, well, that's most likely why. So mm-hmm. th- there's no hard thing, no hard, like if they do this, this is terrible. Um, but I would say initial intake form questions, you know, how they're answering you. That's number one. And then number two would be in the relationship. Are you able to ask questions and get reasons as to why you're doing things?
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like that, like getting to know you part of a coaching client relationship is something that's so integral. Like if you're going to build a relationship with anybody, you would always have that like getting to know you part. So I think the like expectation or the thought that you wouldn't have a lengthy intake form is something that is a little bit concerning because I feel as though like in any other relationship and in this particular relationship your health is so important but I feel as though if that isn't like coming right out the gate and them getting to know you from that perspective I feel as though they really can't coach you effectively I feel as though if you don't know what somebody's history is and you don't really know like who they are truthfully I feel as though you're not really setting the coaching and client relationship up for success long term so I definitely agree with everything that you're saying there and I think that getting to know you is so so important
1: oh yes it's
0: key (laughs) yeah for sure for sure all right next question here is do you recommend sweeteners or sugar-free products during contest prep
1: So like with anything, too much of something can be harmful, right? Um, I do not deliberately eliminate artificial sweeteners from clients' diets, or even my own diet. However, I don't go out of my way necessarily to consume a bunch of them. That makes sense. Um, For me, I have pretty low artificial sweeteners in my life besides like protein powder and, and, you know, pre-workout and things like that. Like anything that I'm taking, like during prep, usually I end up taking pre-workout. Okay. Now it's like occasional. And then I take protein powders every day. Um, but out of, out of that, I don't really have too much. Um, and I always go with the, you know, the idea that, okay, whole foods is going to be the best source, right? Like if we're talking about food, um, I know a lot of people like sweetened beverages, and I would say that again, this really depends on the person. I know some people who can have, you know, three diet sweetened beverages and they are completely fine. They have no issues with their gut. And then I know people who have like half a can of soda that has like a certain kind of sweetener in it, and they're completely messed up. So it really depends on your individual gut microbiome and how you tolerate certain foods. Um, a lot of people don't realize either how they feel with things until they take them out, um, or they don't notice how they feel about things in general, unless they like make a mental note of it. So I recommend now a lot of people just start journaling like foods and like just in general, like how they feel with certain things. And then that way, if there's something that comes up like kind of like a red flag and they can say, Oh, okay, well, why don't I um, maybe, you know, try eliminating this and see how I feel. Or like, let me add this in and see how I feel. So I would say, no, there's no hard rules on you have to have this much or this little. Um, I would say just kind of monitor your intake and see, you know, how you respond. And you might be somebody who feels way better without any kind of artificial sweeteners, and then you might be somebody who has no problems at all. hmm
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like, too, it's... Um, when it comes to the inclusion of them, I, I... I feel as though self-awareness and the communication with your coach in relation to it is the, like, biggest component. Because I know for me as a coach, I'm not going to necessarily pull that out unless I'm looking at their food diary and seeing that if there is quite a bit and they've started to report that to me. So I think, like... Yeah as As a client, really, the best thing that we can do as coaches is have that open level of communication so that if they are coming mm-hmm. up with those, those questions that um, that yeah. we're eliminating it at that point. But it's really interesting because your background is so much in the flexible dieting versus like meal plan space. So did you dive into any of that when you were doing your? research in terms of the inclusion of yeah like sweeteners and stuff or was it just focused on a macro-based approach versus a meal plan based approach
1: yeah in my studies i did not dive into that at all it was more about the behavior around food that i was focusing on and seeing if that changed weight loss and weight regain right um so it was more on the mental and then purely you know physiological body comp you know tests like did that change it um it wasn't anything with gut microbiome and digestion like we didn't get into all that maybe if i would now i've started focusing a little bit more on that so maybe if i had done the study now maybe i would have included maybe some questions on that Um, but no that's not something that our lab really looks into is like is that kind of stuff um, it was purely physique based and also food behavior based was my research. Now, another thing I will say too, though, about dieting foods, air quotes, or you know, artificial sweetener foods, you know, all that kind of shit, is two another two part thing. <laughs> One, anytime time that you are eating food that is packaged or has sweetener or has whatever, there is a large room for variability. Okay. Um, This is something that I, you know, have started looking again more into and started just practically applying, right? The food labels can have a large variability and some artificial sweeteners can still have some calories, right? Like they don't have to report everything. So if you're constantly eating these packaged things and you're like, I don't know why I can't lose weight, try switching to some more whole foods. Like you know exactly what's in rice. You know exactly what's in a raspberry. You know, like there's no, there's no error there. (laughs) So... Um there can be inherent errors when you start adding in more of these diet foods, air quotes. Um so just watch out for that. And then secondly, I think a lot of people start relying when they're dieting on these kinds of foods because they think that it's going to help their hunger because they feel like they're missing out, and I think that there's a point of diminishing returns. Having maybe a diet sweetened beverage and like a piece of gum can 100% help keep you on track, right? Having 10 drinks a day and a pack of gum you are trying to avoid the situation that is inevitable and it's not helping anymore. Mm-hmm. So when you're dieting, you're gonna be hungry, right? But you trying to say, well, I'm just gonna slam all these diet drinks and all this gum and I'm gonna, it's gonna be fine. You're actually giving that hunger more power and you're actually thinking about it more in that sense, instead of just saying, hey, I'm gonna accept that this is part of the prep. This is part of the process. And I've just found that to be so much more liberating and actually beneficial for myself and for clients
0: mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that actually I mean, a lot
1: of people don't focus on, and they like really hyper focus like how can I make this easier? Will maybe just add all this other stuff in and that usually ends up
0: backfiring yeah, absolutely, absolutely. um, so what do you do to combat hunger? what do you use as a replacement strategy when you're personally going through a contest prep lauren honestly i I never have a good answer for this. it shit just sucks. <laughs>
1: Like, I'm naturally a very hungry person. So when people tell me, oh, I'm hungry, I'm like, trust me, I could be eating 300 carbs and I'm hungry. I could be eating 50 carbs and I'm hungry. Like, it just doesn't matter to me, you know? Um, actually, very interesting. I grew up with an eating disorder and I'm finding out more that basically, like, long-term eating disorders can have lifelong effects on, like, leptin and ghrelin levels. So I really do think that might have, like, contributed to it along with all the years of me contest prepping. Um Honestly, the hunger is just there, you know, like there are things that you can strategize, of course, like proper meal timing, getting enough sleep, getting a lot of whole foods in, um, keeping yourself busy, like things like that are, you know, those help. But I don't have any air quotes hacks that really like I I don't eat something or drink something and go, oh, I'm not hungry anymore. It just doesn't work for me. So I would say that, yes, having, you know, making sure that you have the things that I just mentioned in line having appropriate meal timing, you know, don't like when you're prepping and you're low calorie, you better focus on meal timing because that is crucially important. Um, A lot of people miss that, especially in the flexible dieting group. They're like, oh, it's stupid. No, it's not stupid. Meal timing is very important, especially when you're low calorie.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So what would be optimal then in terms of the the meal timing? When you come home and you are super hungry,
1: um, this will depend obviously on each client, but I am kind of a proponent of four to five protein feedings a day. Um, I would say anywhere from three to six is appropriate and then four to five is best in my opinion um, because you need to have enough protein feedings in order to spike muscle protein synthesis, but you also need enough time for it to come back down. Um, and likewise, I find that it's you know more beneficial to have decent sized meals versus, really, really big or really, really small for like the three to six range. Um, So four to five protein feeding seems to be best. Um, And you need to make sure that you're eating and having, you're prioritizing this around training, right? Because a lot of people forget that training is incredibly important when they're dieting. And if we're talking about contest prep, it's incredibly important. Um, You need to make sure that you're maintaining muscle mass. So you need to be eating pre and post-workout and having that set up in a situation to where you're actually fueled for training and you're recovering. And of course, that's going to be you know, relative, like at the end of a diet, you're going to have a lot less energy and a lot less recovery, but you can still try and optimize it. So those would be important things to keep in mind for meal timing. And just having food prepped is a huge thing because when you're hungry and you're tired and you're prepping like one wrong move and you can be half a jar into peanut butter real quick. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, mm -hmm. but you're going to be less likely to do that if you have meals prepped in the fridge or you bought meals or things like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, making sure you're getting enough sleep is absolutely paramount. Um, Yes, sleep will be dysregulated when you are prepping. That is just a, a normal reaction when you are getting super lean. Um, it affects some people more than others, but you can do things like having a good sleep environment, and that is absolutely crucial to you know recovery and hunger. Because if you're if you're not sleeping or you have like four hours a night, it's known to release more ghrelin, so you're going to be hungrier. Um, so those are two really important things. And then like, I kind of, like I said, like just accepting almost that it's going to be there is really helpful. I've found that to be incredibly helpful for myself and clients, um, instead of trying to avoid it so much, just being like, Hey, this is going to be kind of this present thing. And it kind of, it will come in waves, you know, sometimes it's like, Oh my God, I'm so hungry. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm fine. I don't really notice it. And it will go up and down and oscillate during prep. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I like to kind of imagine that I'm just like don't have any more food like almost like imagine i'm like homeless and there's no other options of like it's not even possible girl so don't even go there like with my with my mind mentally so i'm yeah. not even yeah it's like i'm you're, you're i'm not even tempted yeah yeah it's, that's it's that, a really good way no options um it's kind of like that no
1: options mentality because like right now you know in an off-season period you're like oh i can eat a little bit more of this or what in the prep you have to narrow into like nope this is what i got and that's it like yeah when it's done it's done and that's what i actually just did a three-part series on my youtube channel with um, one of my assistant coaches karina about time restricted feeding so it's something that i've been doing now for a few years um there's a ton of amazing research on it and we kind of dive a little bit more into it so if people are interested in that i would check it out but basically time restricted feeding is eating within a 10 to 12 hour window based on your circadian rhythm so you're not eating a lot of people who do um Intermittent fasting, they don't take into consideration the time. So they might eat all of their food very late at night. Whereas the people who are in the time restricted feeding camp believe that it is better to not do that per se. So check out those videos for more information on that. But what I found most beneficial from that before I knew about all the research (laughs) was that, okay, I'm done eating at seven. Like I would tell myself, like my last meal is at seven, that's it. Because let's be honest, most of us at night, like that's kind of when we want to like snack more, right? Or we just kind of start thinking like, oh, I'll just have a little bit of this. And just mentally just kind of shutting off like, nope, this is my last meal. And then I'm, I'm in the kitchen. But I'm you know not mentally here thinking about food, or I'm upstairs, or I'm out of here. It helped me so much. So more details on those videos, if you guys are interested in that. Um, but just from a mental perspective, that was kind of like that, where I started with all of it.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think there's so much power in that. I definitely exercise uh exercise the same sort of strategy um during prep and, and even off season. I just find mm-hmm. it feels better for me for sure. Yeah, so much better. Mhm. All right. What about cardio? We got two cardio questions here. So, fasted cardio versus cardio after a lifting session, what is your perspective?
1: Number one perspective with cardio is your schedule. Really what it is. Um, some people have the luxury of doing, I would much rather people do cardio split up from training just Mm -hmm. from a energy perspective. Um, some people can't do that, you know, it just doesn't work. But for a lot of people, they can either do it. They can do a morning and a night session. So before work, they do something, either they do cardio or they lift. I would rather them do cardio in the morning before they lift, I mean, cardio in the morning and then lift at night. But some people like it the other way around. They like doing training in the morning and then cardio at night. If you can do that, I would much rather people do that from a perspective of intensity and recovery, but sometimes you can't do that. And sometimes you got a lot of cardio, so you got to put it around training. Like, again, just the reality of what it takes. So, um, you know, sometimes you can split it up if you have a lot going on. What I would have some people do is they do some earlier than some later with training. Um, again it just really depends and and at the end of the day it really is about getting it done um but you have to think in the aspect of okay i am not a endurance athlete i am a bodybuilder if we're talking about contest prep so the goal is to maximize the bodybuilding adaptations so number one should be well number one is the deficit the calorie deficit and then number one is i mean number two (laughs) one and one number two is (laughs) training and maintaining that training intensity so you can have that protein turnover and then three would be getting your cardio in which again is increasing the deficit but i feel like i mean just in my experience the diet is a lot more powerful than cardio but cardio is an amazing tool as well. So especially if people are very sedentary during work, some people are, some people aren't. Some people work as waitresses and they're on their feet all day or they're nurses or whatever, and they're running around and I have other people who work at a desk for 10 hours a day. So cardio levels and you know when people are gonna have to do it, all that just depends on their schedule. But I am totally cool with fasted cardio and I actually implemented that a lot with clients this year um, just based on a timing perspective of eating. So they would do fasted cardio in the morning, all steady state. I'd never recommend fasted hit, um, but fasted steady state in the morning. And then they would eat a little bit later, go to work and then train at night.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What about hit versus, uh, low intensity cardio throughout a prep? I know for me personally, like I just hit a wall and I'm like, I can no longer do hit. What do you recommend? Yeah. Uh, again, very
1: individual and it really depends on people's training. So some people, if they're training super, super hard, they absolutely cannot do HIT cardio. Just can't. Some people who don't train as hard love doing HIT, And I feel like because HIT is very similar to weight training as far as like the adaptations go. Um, it's different, but it's similar. It's like, it's hard as well. You know, training's hard on your body as is HIT cardio. Lists and, and miss is not as hard on your body, but you're getting more of these just kind of calorie burning adaptations. So there, I look at them as two completely different things. And I would say that hit is great for some individuals, but for most, I err on the steady state side. And I've done that now for my past two years of preps for myself. And I've started drastically reduce the amount of hit I do for clients and drastically increase the amount of lists, like in the proportion, you know what I mean? Um, before I used to just you know again kind of science community to go hit whatever no yeah <laughs> all of the studies that are done on HIT training are not in calorie reduced individuals getting ready for a bodybuilding show I promise you that mm-hmm. <laughs> they are well fed full of glycogen yes the benefits of HIT are real like there's there's no ignoring that HIT has great benefits but it's all about context and if we're talking about the context of bodybuilding. I look at cardio as simply a calorie deficit, like how can we do this? Um, how can we increase this deficit? And we're really looking at, you know, again, diet is number one, training is number two, and then cardio is down that peg. So, but some people love HIT and they love doing it and they recover fine from it. So if they enjoy
0: that and I add it in, I just have to really monitor it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, next question is, does coffee break a fast? Um... Depends on who you talk to. Okay. Um,
1: I am in the camp that, yes, so by technical terms, coffee breaks a fast. A fast is nothing but water because when you were fasting, you have nothing in your system. Coffee requires digestion. Just because there's no calories doesn't mean it doesn't require digestion. Coffee, tea, supplements, doesn't matter. They all require digestion. So when I'm talking in that time-restricted feeding window – When I say, okay, make sure you're on a 12-hour window or a 10-hour window, that means water only outside of that. Um, Now you hear a lot of people who are, oh, I'm doing fasted, whatever, right? Um, And and again, if you are in a situation where it's I'm intermittent fasting, people say, oh, I'm having coffee or my favorite coffee with butter. And I'm like, you're not fasting. That's loads of calories, (laughs) which, again, (laughs) is fine. Like, it's totally fine, but it's not fasting. Same thing when you take aminos, you're no longer fasting. Same thing when you're, oh, but you know what I mean. No, just say it how it is. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not eating, but I'm taking this. So in the advent of we're talking about a time-restricted feeding window, yes. Anything besides water is not fasting. Now, do I think that it's bad that people might have a coffee before they do cardio or have aminos before cardio? No, I don't think that's bad. But just don't call it fasting. That's pretty much what I would say. Mm
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Next questions are uh, are about supplementation. So which supplements are best for optimizing performance during a prep?
1: So I'm very big on foundation. If anybody hears me talk about – I work with First Form, and I believe in their products 100%, and I use, I've used supplements for years. You know what I mean? But truthfully, the foundation is what's most important. So particularly in a diet, you are – more devoid of nutrients just because of your lower calorie levels so I think that things like a proper multivitamin and a greens powder and things like that are even more important during a prep um things that I recommend people take are you know the greens and then digestive enzymes probiotics multivitamin fish oil like those kind of foundational supplements I think year round are incredibly important. I think a lot of people go to the fancy supplements first, and they miss that, um, and that's really unfortunate. And I love a good, I love a good performance enhancer. Like, give me some caffeine, give me a solid pre workout, give me a pump product. Like, I'm all for it, um, and I take those as well. But I think you can't, you have to have the foundation first. Um, also, people will use, like I said, maybe like stimulants or pump products or whatever over using a quality protein powder and even a quality like carb powder and I think those are incredibly important for performance and recovery. So um, for me, I have become a lot more keen on things like that. Um, having protein after your workout a lot of the research studies in protein actually do that um, and obviously it just makes sense um, to have protein after you lift I've also found that it's very satiating and that's incredibly important because we all know after we lift we can get really hungry um, and then having some kind of liquid carbs I found to be incredibly beneficial for performance and recovery so some people like intra-workout carbs better some people like post-workout carbs better um, I've played around with both and I like both for different reasons but I would say even 10 to 15 grams of like a liquid carbohydrate is going to be so key and it's already bro- if you get a powder it's already broken down can already go into your system and they make great products too you know that have for like intra workout you would have like two different types of carbs you would have aminos and electrolytes like things like that um are going to be really key to performance and i never really knew the importance of those until i started trying and started listening to people you know like cliff wilson who's my coach um john meadows um john gorman like people like this are really big into this intro workout nutrition and i was like wow this is a whole new world <laughs> um So yes, that's important. Um, and again, kind of, I mean, I consider foundational, um, but outside of that, maybe more fancy. Um, I think the most underrated supplement is a glucose disposal agent. I'm absolutely fascinated by those. And I think that they're great. Um, and now when you are dieting and you are pretty low calorie, you're most likely going to be a little bit more insulin sensitive, but in an off season period, and even on like, maybe like refeed days or even like early on in prep. I find them very beneficial. So basically a glucose disposal agent will uptake glucose into your muscles and store glucose as glycogen in your muscles versus storing it as adipose tissue. So this is good for two reasons. One, obviously you're going to stay fuller um, and you're going to have glycogen readily available when you need to train and perform. And you're also going to get back into a fat burning state faster because now you no longer have the glucose Mm -hmm. to feed off of and now you need to use body fat. So highly underrated supplement that I've been using off and on for years and I love them. And then, yeah, if you're really looking for a performance enhancer, like, solid pre-workout is absolutely, like, essential and a prep for me. Like, hands down. Like, I try and slowly work my caffeine intake up when I'm prepping. Of course, I don't want to just, like, blow my face off the whole time because my preps are very long. But I love a good pre-workout. So, in that, you need to be looking for, obviously, stimulants. I mean, that's an obvious. Um, you need to see how much, you know, works for you. Everybody has a different tolerance. But stimulants, pump products um, focus, like those kinds of things. And then bonus, if there's sodium in there, because that will help with training as well.
0: Excellent. What about fat burners? Is there like a particular time? Like when's too early to start a fat burner? How often can you use a fat burner? I think a lot of people in contest prep, uh, aren't quite sure about, uh, aren't quite sure about that.
1: Yeah. And I think that I love fat burners. Again, I've used them off and on for years for preps. Um, it just depends. Each fat burner is going to be a little bit different. So the actual amount of how strong the the fat burner is, is going to really determine kind of when to add it and how much to add it. Um, so the one that I was using last year, it's, Again, it's from First Form. It's this pack. And I love that it's more like a 24-hour system. So there's two during the day and then one for night. Um, so the one is the stimulant-based one, but the stimulant isn't like crazy. It's like a kind of a normal. It's like 125 mg per capsule, so not really anything outrageous. I know there's some fat burners of like 400 milligrams caffeine. So, like you can't really take more than one of those. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you could, but I probably wouldn't suggest it. Um, so you can, you know, usually the caffeine-based fat burners will be good, obviously for energy. Um, appetite suppression, focus, like usually that will be in those kind of supplements. And then, um, there's also stim-free ones that maybe focus more on like thyroid. That's like the one in the, the first form one does. And then the one that the, what I really love is the third pill in that is the nighttime one. So basically there's one that helps with sleep, cortisol reduction and digestive enzymes. So helping you kind of, you know, burn fat or be in this good place while you're sleeping. Um, I wouldn't say that you need go, well, I wouldn't say don't add it right away because it depends on how long your diet is. Right. Um, if you're dieting for a really long time, maybe don't start it right away. But if your diet's relatively shorter, I would say go ahead and add it and just play around with it. You know, for me, what I did was I would do five days on, two days off. Um, that's actually what they recommend. And it would kind of keep the tolerance from building up too much. You just got to play around with it. But I would say that, you know, just make that decision um, and really just weigh out which one is going to be best for you, right? Like what? how much caffeine is in it, um, how do you feel on it, um, you shouldn't feel like totally crazy on a quality fat burner. Um, you should feel a good focused energy, you know, ideally appetite suppression. That's like the main reason I enjoy them, but yeah, just be careful with what's in it. Kind of know how much is in each pill.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you have a coach that's knowledgeable, you can always run that by them as well. If you're not exactly. quite sure looking at a product. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Lauren. All right, so we got a couple more questions here. Um, Next one is, is there an amount of calories that is too low or an amount of fats that is too low during prep? So,
1: (laughs) always depends on the individual. Um, But I am more keen on dropping carbs than I am fat. Super low, because I work with mostly females. I do not really like dropping too much lower than 35 to 40 grams of fat for women, but I will bring their carbs all the way down. Like, I don't, I don't care if we need to do that. Um, I, I really kind of like that 40 amount. And then if we need to get lower than that, we will for a short period of time. But that's kind of the end to, like, really kick it off. Now, that being said, I've seen coaches who have girls on, you know, way less fats but more carbs – and they keep their cycle the whole time, you know, so it, it kind of depends on the individual. Um, but I would say that what it's it's less about what's an unsafe range and more of looking at the whole prep. If you are starting a, let's just say, 16-week prep and your coach puts you on 10 grams of fat and 40 grams of carbs, that's a huge red flag. Like, you do not need to be doing that for 16 weeks. I don't care who you are. I would never recommend that. You're going to start higher based, of course, it's going to depend on you know where you, you ended your off season. But the goal with the weekly check ins and sometimes twice week check ins is to slowly bring things down. But the end might get pretty aggressive uh, and you're going to have to be ready for that. And I don't think that there's any right or wrong number because everybody's different. And some, you know, I work with clients who are 5'10 and some are 4'11. Like clearly those people are going to be eating different amounts um, over their, their dieting span. So a hard number I don't really like, but I would say that generally speaking, I try to keep fats around 40 for as long as I can and then really hammer kind of like dropping the carbs and carb cycling, um, having some low days and having some high days and, you know, dropping the fats as needed, you know, kind of at the end. But it does depend on the individual. It does depend on how they respond. Uh, and, you know, that's going to be taken client by client basis. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I also think it's, it's also in relation to how far you have to go. So if you still have 40 pounds to lose and then- the macros that you receive or the amount of food that you're consuming is very low i i, I really think that's the big concern too is that if that's your starting ground unfortunately what are you going to do when you plateau when you still have 20 pounds to lose there, there's really going to be nowhere you're going to bottom out right and that's kind of again where it comes back to the beginning being
1: realistic you know if you have 40 pounds to lose that is totally possible, but that ain't happening in 16 weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it could happen, but you're not going to look very good, you know. So that's where, again, realistic kind of expectations come in here. So that's where having a proper off-season, maybe doing a mini-cut, starting your weight a little bit lower, or even just like, last year I dieted my full season. I mean, you know, then I, I did five shows, so it's not like I just did one eight weeks but sometimes it takes
0: that much time to get everything so you just have to be really realistic um with that mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely we'll just uh wrap things up here lauren with uh, a couple final questions and that's first giving you the opportunity to do your little shameless plug and tell us about your business goals and personal goals for this upcoming year all right so i'm like i mentioned in the beginning uh team logo
1: fit is <laughs> It's my business. And uh for a few years did everything on my own. And then I had Ryan come in, his boyfriend, and he does the training for some of our clients, and he's really amazing. But he doesn't really, you know, I don't need to like manage him. I don't need to you know be the leader. You know, like he does his own thing and he's very independent and you know, that's just he does that on his side. Now I've decided to take on the two coaches who've been amazing clients of mine, they're just amazing individuals, highly educated girls um, who are hard workers. And now I've taken on kind of the leadership role, um, which is really exciting because I've done, I've done a lot of self-education and learning kind of in the leadership space, but I only was ever able to apply it to myself. So now I'm really focusing on learning how to be a effective leader and an effective communicator. So this, I've learned to be an effective communicator with my clients, which is always of course evolving, but I've learned how to do that but now having employees is different, you know. So that's really my big goal this year is growing Team Loco fit and, you know, mentoring my coaches to be the best coaches possible. And they've already, you know, exceeded my expectations. They're absolutely amazing. Uh, so that's been a really fun thing for me. And I know that, that this year, like the end of last year is kind of when I started all this. And I know that this year is going to be very pivotal uh, for that so every time I do travel and I do speak and I you know I do things it's all about the team now and you know kind of being that team leader so it's really cool uh, and I kind of nerd out over this stuff and uh, I'm all smiley about it but oh. <laughs> it, I know it's really it's really That's awesome. and it's very fulfilling uh, to be able to mentor them to help other people you know so uh, because I felt very stuck for a while. You know, I can only work with so many people, right? And this was the next obvious step. So it's very exciting to be able to actually help and impact more people because now we can take them on. So that's awesome. And that's those are really my big, like, that's going to take up a lot of my time this year is, you know, mentoring them, being the best coach that I can be to my clients, continuing to learn more, and then, you know, speak and get the word out for, you know, our philosophies.
0: hmm hmm I think I maybe heard on uh, a podcast that you're also – trying to get on more stages and getting involved with more mm-hmm. speaking. Um, yep. So do you have some dates that maybe we can fire off in case people are interested in coming and meeting you and hearing you speak?
1: Yes. Yeah, so a lot of things aren't super finalized yet. And I don't know if I can tell, you know, the exact dates. but I will for sure. I know that I will be in Singapore in September. I will be in Canada in September. I will be in St. Louis in October. Um, those are all public just events. Um, and then I will also most likely be speaking in Tampa at the end of March, which I know is coming up. So I'll be speaking about that soon. And then potentially at the end of summer, I will be doing a seminar in Seattle, um, with my friend Cody. So there is those are a few things that are already lined up kind of on the calendar (laughs) and I'm very excited, but I, I haven't been able to announce the exact dates yet, but as soon as I know them, I will be putting that all over social media and I'm really excited to connect with more people.
0: All right, cool. And uh, for people that maybe want to check you out on social media, where can they find you, Lauren? So uh,
1: Instagram is where I'm most active, I would say,
0: through posts and stories. Um, And my personal
1: one is at Lauren Conlin, L-A-U-R-I-N, C-O-N-L-A-N. Our team page is at Team Loco Fit. Uh, And then my YouTube channel is just my name, Lauren Conlin. And we have a – my website is teamlocofit.com. And on there, you can also subscribe to our free newsletter. So my goal this year has been to put out one newsletter a week um, with myself and the coaches and then one YouTube video a week as well. So those are two great places to find more content that's educational. And uh, on the site also, there's the links to um, the two podcasts that I co-host with. So lots of content.
0: Uh, And yeah, basically, if you check the site, you'll be able to kind of see everything there. Amazing. Well, I just want to thank you for the way that you show up in this world and all of the freaking awesome things that you're doing, Lauren. I absolutely love it.
1: Oh, thank you, girl. I appreciate you.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks for today's chat. We do end on one final question of every episode of the podcast. And that is, Lauren, how would you like to be remembered?
1: Oh, man. Um, So I would say that my main goal in this world is to be an educator and I want to be remembered as somebody who is is just that is making an impact through education and helping people whether it's directly or indirectly you know learn more for themselves and challenge themselves to learn more and always be open to learning more. Um, I think that education is really the key to everything. And I think that a lot of people either get kind of closed-minded or they just kind of get stuck in what they're doing. And they never really like kind of look outside of what they're currently doing to learn more. So just being open to education. And if I can directly or indirectly impact people, that's what I want to be remembered for.
0: Ah, love it, girl. Love it. All right. Well, thank you for today's chat. I'm sure we'll cross paths in the future, Lauren, and all the best with your future endeavors. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe I'll see you in Canada. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll cross paths at some point. Mm -hmm thank you girl all right ciao for now what a great conversation that was so fantastic to chat with lauren she is so down to earth she's got a great instagram account so i highly recommend that you guys go and check her out and follow her learn from her she's doing some really wonderful things within the industry until next time thanks for joining me guys we'll see you next week Guys, I'm on a really big mission here and I want to transform one million lives, but I need your help. I can't do it alone. I want you to take this episode, share it with just one person. Maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe a coworker, just one person who could really benefit from the information in this week's episode or perhaps a previous episode. That is how we create impact. That is how we get this movement going. That's how we take people from feeling tired and just not having a fulfilled life and we put them into fulfilling their full potential. So I challenge you guys to share this with just one person. It would mean the world to me. And as always, head on over to iTunes, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They come out every single Thursday. That is my commitment to all of you guys so that you guys can continually grow, expand, and fulfill your full potential. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Lots of love, Ange.